head on occasion. Okay. <laughs> I've been listening to some other podcasts and instead of like this yelling thing that I tend to do something more <laughs> intimate. <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't, I don't think that's going to work. It, oh my God. What, what is it there? That whispering <laughs> thing that people are doing now that's like supposed to be such a big ASMR. Yeah, thank you. So this is the ASMR version of <laughs> I mean, oh, I'm God. Gonna, I better not. Uh, so I wonder, I wonder how many uh, listeners uh, we just lost. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Boil Down. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hi, Don. Hey, everybody. I'm Sam. Hiya, Sam. What's shaking, Mr. Donnelly? I'm uh I'm just recovering as hard as I possibly can. Oh, you don't even have a bead of sweat on your brow. <laughs> You're not recovering hard. That's uh, my life is good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I've had a major bead of sweat on my brow. We've been moving. Now that's stressful. Yes, everyone that I've talked to has agreed or either stated no one likes moving. <laughs> uh, well, we don't like change. Sucks. <laughs> yeah, we don't like change, and moving is about as much change as you can possibly get in there at one time. Oh my god! It's like I don't even have a routine yet because we're not even all the stuff's not even in the new place yet, and and stuff is absolutely not unpacked. And it's like, all right, so I got my coffee this morning, and it's like, okay, so now where am I going to go? Am I going to go? sit down at a computer somewhere and Facebook? Am I going to go sit on a balcony and, and listen and drink coffee and Facebook? Or am I going to go get on a bar stool at kitchen counter with my coffee and Facebook <laughs> or, or there's well, a pattern there. <laughs> there's, but one thing when you move is that it's like to just like relax and stay in the moment is a little bit tricky when you have so much piled up that you have to do it every instant. I mean, not every box oh to open. So you know, how do you, how do you, I, it's good. I, I just this roll with it. Yeah. I just roll with it. So Greg has had to work a lot during all of this uh, and, and crazy hours too. I mean, the movers were not finished moving our stuff. They didn't leave the new place until 11 o'clock Thursday night. It's always Greg takes had, longer than you imagine. Greg had to be up at 4 a.m. Friday morning for work. Wow. And then he was gone all day and then all day Saturday. And so I've been doing a lot of this on my own. And I mm -hmm. told him last night, Saturday night, when he came home that, you know, I have never really experienced ADD or ADHD or, 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 or that, that type of experience and I was feeling it because I would start doing something and then see something else that needs to be done and start doing yeah. it and then see something because everywhere I look, there is something to be done. Yeah. And so it really is just one of those things of trying to be mindful of what I was doing. All right. So what was I doing? What am I doing? Go do that. Finish this task yeah. and then do the next thing. One and thing at a time. 
And it's, it really is a mindful experience. And at one point I, I, I gotta admit, there were several times it's like, I was teary eyed. It was like, I am so overwhelmed yeah. right now. Yeah. Guarantee you that before sobriety, I would have been drunk as hell and not doing a damn not thing doing except it. making a mess. Yeah. I probably, I actually, I would be drunk and doing stuff, making a mess and finishing absolutely no task. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it would go. Because it's uh, too much to do. And I think I'll have a beer and then I think I'll have another beer. And boy, I just, I, I'm not going to, I'll get to that later. <laughs> I'll get to this unpacking thing later. Next day, repeat. <laughs> well, so everyone uh, is glad I'm sober. I've got no worries. I've got nothing out of control. Everything is even. And it's just like, it's very easy to let go when there's no stress whatsoever, no schedule. Mm. It's, it's I'm going to ship a box of ants to your house. Very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I always feel guilty. This being retired, Sam, I'm all for it. I want to <laughs> recommend it. Yes. What, what was it? What was it in the book? It says that retirement is just a long lettered word for sloth <laughs> <laughs> something well, like that yeah 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 it's a <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> i'm grateful though i gotta say i'm grateful for it i'm glad i can do this so me too because yeah. my god look at all the time you spend editing making us sound awesome yes Yesterday, all morning i spent editing a podcast and just took time with it i really went into it and I moved some and, sentences around. So, <laughs> oh, so now you're rewording things. So, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you are producing the dulcet tones of the Boiled Owl podcast. That's right. Well, Sam, we have a guest. Hooray. Thank God they don't have to listen to us the whole time. Hi. Who are you? Hi. I am Stephen and I am an alcoholic. Hey, Stephen. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Stephen. I'm glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks, Don, and uh, Sam, thanks for inviting me. So people told me that I needed to get sober, and the last thing I was going to do was go to AA. And when I decided to go to AA, I can think of an exact moment when I decided I've had it. I don't have any choice. I'm going to have to go to AA. What was it like for you inside when you decided that you were going to go to AA? So I was introduced to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous at age 13. Um, it was something that um, I was forced to go into. I was at an all boys correctional facility and they were like, you should go to these meetings. And, um, you know, I never paid any mind to it. Um, as I got older and my disease progressed, um, you know, there was a lot of being like court ordered to go. But um, this last time, this term of sobriety for me I, I had that moment. I was out. I was out on a relapse after having been in the room for a while. It was that moment where I looked at myself in the mirror, and the gig was up. Um, I could not stand that emotional unrest. Like I hadn't lost anything. It wasn't like a material bottom for me. But um, I knew that my place was in Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew that the people and the 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 life and the the experiences I craved were there because I'd seen them before, and I had given up every every reservation. Like I just knew that I was going, I, this is where I needed to be. And um, I made a call that same day and 
put myself into treatment and then, um, you know, got busy working. So you had been exposed to it quite a bit. And not only that, you had lots of people telling you that you had a yeah, problem. My, yeah, pr- pretty much my whole life. Um, I, I started pretty rough right out the gate. Um, I started, p- I picked up methamphetamine when I was 13 years old and um, had a long romance with that before I, you know, admitted defeat. So, and you said that, uh, you know, you, you were in a facility and, and you'd had some court ordered attendance and all that. So I would imagine that, you know, being the very typical addict alcoholic that I am, that if someone had told me that you have to do this thing, my whole attitude towards it is, uh-uh. well, fine. If I have to, I will show up, but I ain't doing shit. Yeah. You're, you're nodding your head. <laughs> so you had that going on <laughs> kind of like, I'm going to be sober, but uh damn, if I'm going to be happy, joyous and free. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, being court ordered to go into a uh, program, it didn't matter what 12 step it was. I was going to go. I had to go. I had to produce a court card to a judge on a weekly basis. I was court ordered to one meeting a day for 18 months. Oh, wow. And, um, and I did that. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I did it begrudgingly, and I didn't want to be there. And I, I came in late, left early, put my p- paper on the table, grabbed it as soon as it was signed, and was out the door. You know, and um, somewhere, probably about three months into that, I was like, "Well, I have to be here. Might as well, you know, make the most of it." Okay. And, um, you know, I mean, so there was some investment in that time, but I mean, I, I was not into it when I was there. But you know, I'm also. Uh, an avid people pleaser and I will be whatever you want me to be. And, um, you know, I put on a good face and, you know, I got real into it and, you know, people believed it and I was just unhappy. So it was fake. You, you were totally faking it while you were doing this. Is that even and through the that first process, time, the first time? Uh, yeah. First uh, go around. That was my first. Yeah. Uh, so, so what I'm curious about is, do you think that the time served we'll call it, um, in those early recovery attempts in, in the rooms. Do you think that served you? Do, do you think that that was of service to you in your getting to where you are now? Oh, absolutely. I do. Um, absolutely. I do. Uh, you know, when I, when I started to sit down and actually be present and started listening, um, you know, one of the groups I consistently went to was um, a living sober group. Um, and we read out of the little yellow living sober book it's blue. And now, I feel y'all. like that's like, <laughs> it is blue now. So, but the, I mean, that first meeting that I went to, and I, I commonly refer to the living sober book as like the, um, the elementary reading of the big book. It was an approachable palatable way for me to learn how to live sober without really getting lost in the dialogue of the first 164. And, practical. Um, and that was palatable for me. Right. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it was something that I could identify with and through that same process, you know, I'm, I grew up in very old school AA in Carson city, Nevada. And, um, you know, that whole, like sit down, shut up, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth kind of deal, you know, so I grew up in that type of environment and, um, and I also grew up in a predominantly straight environment, um, in AA. And so, um, I didn't think that I quite belonged there, but I was there anyway. And, um, I remember being in a book study and we read tightrope out of the back of the, the fourth edition. And I was like, okay, well, there are people like me that have a story similar to mine, 
Um, it may not be in front of me physically, but there it clearly is in this book, you know, maybe I too have a seat here. And, um, you know, and ever since then, it was like, I felt like I kind of belonged and I continuously looked for my place there. So I love that you brought that up. Inclusion, not exclusion is such an important part of, of 12 step recovery organizations, fellowships, et cetera. Um, because it's so, I mean, I don't need anything to get in the way of me saying I don't fit in here. For me, it was, uh, there, there were uh, uh, several gay meetings a week in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I got sober. And so that's where I, I dipped my toe in AA, if you will. Uh, it's kind of hard to do 90 meetings in 90 days when there's only um, three gay meetings a week. Um, so, but I tried, you know, I, I only did those to start and then got drunk and then came back and then did mainstream AA as well as the gay meetings, but the gay meetings had gotten me comfortable with the rooms. Um, you talking about that, you know, that sounds like that wasn't an option for you. And so you found your way to identify your, your, uh, not being excluded, uh, in the stories in the back of the book. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm the closest, um, uh, identifiable LGBT meetings were in Reno and, um, you know, it was a 45 minute drive from where I was and, um, wasn't necessarily the most responsible driver. So I didn't have a license <laughs> for a little bit at that time. Why. And, um, you know, maybe, <laughs> um, so, uh, I didn't have that, those kinds of resources. Now that's not to say that, um, I wasn't the only identifiable LGBT person in the area, you know, and, um, I found an outlet where I could find them in like young people's meetings. And, um, I found a lot of that same kind of inclusion fellowship in, uh, Narcotics Anonymous as well. Um, cause there was a large, larger community of young people where it was a little bit more accepting, but, um, you know, I was really spoon fed the program, you know, by a lot of old timer, big book thumpers, um, in Carson city. And, um, and I'm so grateful for that, you know, because it was the, like men work with men, women work with women type of deal. And so I was, you know, I was forced into being uncomfortable. Um, and I got to lose that, you know, terminal uniqueness, yeah. like just because I am who I am, doesn't make me. Any Don't you think everyone, you know? I think everyone feels like they're outside. Uh, they're an outsider when they come to AA. I did because I'm an artist. So they, you know, they didn't understand me. And yeah, right. It's, it is, it's something that everyone has to struggle with. I'm glad that you go into straight meetings that you didn't have a bad experience from someone experienced some homophobia or something like that. If that happens, that's terrible. But the fact is, everybody's got that feeling of being outside of and not a part of this thing. And, you know, I don't know if I even want to identify with these AA people, you know. Yeah. An active or early alcoholic or addict is, you know, I mean, I, like I said, looking for any reason not to fit in here. I'm looking for any reason for, any for reason. this not to be where I belong. I was wondering. You were using amphetamines, but you chose AA. The court ordered you to go. You chose AA. How did that happen? Why did you choose AA? Um, the so in um, in Nevada, where I, I got sober at that time, you know, um, the majority of the meetings were AA meetings. They were easily accessible. Literally out my front door and not even a hundred feet away <laughs> was a meeting hall. That's surprising. Yeah, I mean, and and it's it's really eerie to me how many people had that same kind of experience in that store in their stories. Yeah. But I mean, really, it was right there. And, um, you know, I could walk out my front door, walk up the street and around the corner, and there it was. And, um, you know, I later continued to stay in AA um, 
because that was the foundation of my program. You know, when I started getting into some of the step work and um, kind of playing around with that, you know, that's where the roots were. And I felt like I could identify with that. I great, so grateful that I had a sponsor that allowed me to change some of the wording in the big book to suit my own yes. story. And, but still allowed me the opportunity to, you know, learn how to identify as an alcoholic, you know, although at that time I didn't quite think that, you know, I was alcoholic, you know, still learning the respect of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, seeing how I uh, use drugs alcoholically, <laughs> you know, so it, 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 it was a really good experience. And, and I've stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous primarily since then. Did you, but do you drink alcoholically as well as use drugs? You know, my experience is, is that any time that I put liquor into my, bo- into my body, it's usually within a 24-hour period that I end up with some sort of other substance. Um, didn't matter what it was. G- generally within a 72-hour period, but more than likely probably within 24 hours. <laughs> okay, so sometime between 24 hours and 72 hours. The, the wheels yeah. are going to fall I'm off. <laughs> yeah, the wheels oh, absolutely. And the cart races down the hill. Okay, I'm a one-way ticket to, um, you know, 10 miles of bombed out road. I <laughs> <laughs> love it. Yeah, I, I, I've got this thing that I fall back on because I, I've got so many friends who are addicts who are in Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Cocaine Anonymous, uh, Crystal Meth Anonymous, etc. Alcoholic is to addict as eggplant is to vegetable. Addicts may not have used alcohol. They may not drink alcohol. So there are some addicts out there who have never had a drop of alcohol and they're still addicts, but drugs, you know, alcohol is a drug. It's just a very specific fellowship that started first. Alcohol is what kicked my ass. And so I went to AA, but the other thing that's in play here is that Alcoholics Anonymous is freaking everywhere. Yeah. So no wonder it was a hundred feet outside your door. Um, It's easier to find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous because it has been around a lot longer. It's more firmly established. It doesn't mean that it's better. It just means that it's more. It just means it's original. It's, it's what, what everything else sprung out of. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's the mothership. I was in Ireland and uh, we went to Killarney. I was getting really squirrely there because there's a lot of drinking going on in Ireland and I don't drink. And I was traveling with some other people in AA. And so one of them looked up uh, meetings and said, cause I was, I had talked to him saying, you know, I've got to find a meeting. And he got on his phone, looked up a meeting. He said, Oh, there's a meeting across the street in an hour <laughs> from the hotel that we were in. <laughs> That's perfect. I just love that. God. I just love that. Yeah, it's great. Well, and you know, one of the one of the great things too. I mean, especially when traveling. Um, I um, I spent the time working in uh, hotel industry, and um, even our concierge had a list of local meetings, and we had she even had like a meeting directory and even a big book too. Oh, so, wow. that is so I mean, cool. A lot of hotels do that That's these great. days. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we've talked any with anybody who at least has mentioned that they worked in the hospitality industry and mm-hmm. had that aspect of, of being able to help people who are looking for help, who are looking for meetings. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? And when I was there too, I was like, anything else you need, I can grab you whatever you want. You know, any other programmer directories, I got you. Let me, oh, help, wow, me help yeah. you, you know, because it's, it, what, a, what a great thing to do, you know, and um, they were a very popular hotel in the area. So. That is so cool. That So when I started doing my, um, the world travel gig that I had for four years, 
the first trip, the test trip was to Portland, Oregon. I looked up where my meeting was and everything. I called a taxi and, uh, and gave the, the driver the address. And he's like, oh, you're going to a meeting? I'll join you. And he just, you know, he <laughs> no drove kidding. me to the meeting and then we, had, we were in the meeting together. It was so cool. I just love how, I love how we show up. Uh, that's fantastic. I've never heard that's that awesome. story. No. Wild. I've I've got all kinds of stories yeah, you've never heard. You've got how some many, wouldn't scare you. How many how many photos do you have? Because for a while you were taking oh. photos of the of the room of every meeting that you went to with no people in it, just the room. How many yeah, of those I, do you have? Gosh, I don't know. It, I, it was an it's an album on Facebook that uh, that's private. Uh, only my my friends of Bill friend list, uh, which is my friends in recovery friend list, can see it called meeting spaces i think it was i mean it, it I was four that. years of of traveling internationally um and then a little a few more after that you know on, on the occasional trip but it was during that period where i um so 26 different countries many of them several times uh so i mean it's gosh it's very maybe, cool because maybe 50 or 100 different places. I don't know. Yeah, it's beca- because you can feel, I mean, being in AA, you just look at that room and you can just feel yeah. it's like, oh, here, here is a refuge. And it's different in every location, but there's some things that are the same, like they all have so many times have, you know, think, 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 and one day at a time signs on the wall. Oh yeah. Right. And sometimes it's, you know, a, a circle of plastic stacking chairs in the middle of a soccer pitch with no lights and at eight o'clock at night and no reading material or anything. What's the and oddest meeting? That one, that one was totally the oddest one that uh-huh. was in Hyderabad, India. I went to the YMCA uh, and couldn't see any evidence of where a meeting was. So I asked at the, uh, the service window and the guy um, picked up his phone and, and called somebody and said five minutes or something like that, five or 10 minutes. And this group of guys, and it was like I, I, four or five guys, all Indian guys, um, showed up and we took chairs out into the middle of the soccer pitch at the YMCA. And all of the stadium lights were off and everything. And, and we were just sitting in a circle in the dark in, in the middle of this soccer pitch and no materials, no nothing. And we had an AA meeting <laughs> and it was wow. the coolest experience. I went to one, I was in Yellowstone national park. So I needed a meeting and we had gotten stuck there longer. My son got sick. And so we were stuck there for mm, over a week and it was a stressful situation. So I went to the concierge and the, no, though we don't know of one, but I, said, I think there's a poster up on the bulletin board. So I looked on the bulletin board and said, uh, friends of bill at on cabin 12. So I took off, drove to cabin 12 at, you know, 15, 20 minutes before the meeting. And there were three guys standing outside and they had plastic cups. And I was going, well, but something looked a little off about it. And I leaned out the window and said, are y'all friends of Bill W? And one guy turned around and said, who the fuck is Bill W? <laughs> <laughs> I was going, 
okay, <laughs> I don't think that's it anymore. I don't think that meeting's there anymore. Oh, my God. How funny. Oh, God. It was awful. That's Steven, what, tell us about a cool meeting you experienced. Yes. Uh, I went to a meeting in San Francisco one, uh, a number of years ago. And um, uh, so one of the things us young people in Northern Nevada who needed a little bit of help um, did is we would fellowship, right? And so we would all pile into a car and take off to the Bay Area. And we went to a meeting in San Francisco and um, we had no idea where we were going. <laughs> someone was like, oh, someone told me about this. And we were going off of like, you know, just a written down address. How far away was it? Um, so San Francisco is about four hours. Oh my hours, God. Like three, Just, I was thinking hours. it was, a, from what you said, it was a long way. You whippersnappers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, like we were, we were always down to do something a little crazy. Uh -huh. So, I mean, that's, that's part of the fun yeah. of it anyway. So, you know, the ride to and from. Absolutely. Sure. Right. I mean, um, finding some random places to stop and eat on the way and on the way back, you know, just fun. Um, but we, uh, we ended up finding this meeting. It was on a hill. So, I mean, imagine like this huge hill. And then there was just this little doorway and the steps that went down and you walked down in there and there was just, um, I mean, every type of person you could possibly imagine. Um, and there were several groups. There was, I want to say there was probably like 12 smaller circles in this one giant room. And, um, and everybody just kind of went down and sat down and every specific group had a different little like mini meeting. Huh. It was really bizarre. Um, and, but that was the way that the format worked. That, and, that's um, like Detroit, so we went. I think. I mean, it's so, I mean, I've heard, I've heard of people doing meetings like that, but if there is a newcomer um, that they would split off into separate groups and then they would have a step one meeting with that newcomer. Um, I've heard of people having that type of experience, but not already having them set up in smaller little groups. So I experienced yeah. a meeting that had breakouts in two different locales in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, th that was the first time I experienced it where everybody met in the big hall. And then we, we broke out into various groups and there were probably a hundred people in that, that big meeting. It's and a, then that's a good format with a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and then we all came back together uh, to close the meeting uh, and do chips and all that. I listened to a recovered podcast out of Detroit. And that's the way the meetings are there. They, all the meetings, it sounds like split up into smaller groups. They call them tables. So you go to, these they'll instead of saying these rooms, they say these tables. <laughs> that kind of gotcha. Thing. I also experienced that in uh, Savannah, Georgia, uh -huh. uh, th that type of meeting too, but um, never anywhere around uh -huh. central North Carolina have I experienced it. And I haven't experienced it in Palm Springs because, well, we've been in the midst of a pandemic the whole time. Yeah, right. <laughs> we split up into <laughs> little screens. <laughs> Steven. So, yeah. One of the things that always bothers me when I'm asked to sign people's slips that are their court order to come in is that to me, my surrender came from inside and it was difficult for me to do. And having um, somebody tell me that I have to do it was what I resisted the whole time. That's why I didn't come to AA till I did. So I always feel like it's just setting up a resentment in a person to court order them to have to get this paper signed. And it's like, I always want to say, you know, AA doesn't care whether you come to get this signed or not come. This is like your choice, whether you do it. But it sounds like that just the exposure, even though it's court ordered, ends up being a good thing. So what's your take on that? Is it 
better or not? I mean, should I give up my resentment <laughs> towards the court? I mean, it's, 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 it's tough, right? Because um, I know that um, as the tables turned and I was no longer court ordered, I was the secretary of a meeting. I, my portion of control was, you know, if someone came and put down a court paper on my desk or on the table, you know, I would make sure that they stayed the whole meeting because you're court ordered to be here. And if you want me to sign your paper, then you're going to sit through the whole meeting. You know, you're not going to go out and smoke the whole meeting and then come back and pick it up. And then I gave that up shortly afterwards because, again, if they want to be there, they want to be there. You know, I'm, I will tell you my own experience is uh, if I hadn't been court ordered to go, I don't know what, that I would have been in that meeting to be able to identify with living sober. Um, I don't know that I would have been able to hear, you know, that story in the back of the fourth edition, Tightrope, um, and been able to identify. You know, eventually it just kind of grew on me. That was my experience. I know a lot of other people that were court ordered or put or um, lovingly pushed into the rooms um, that ended up staying because, you know, they had no, they had no other option. As soon as I was able to identify with people that had the same problems as me, um, it became a little bit more palatable and I ended up wanting to go anyway. So, so what, I don't think we ever asked, when did you get sober this last time? So my sobriety date is um, April 24th, 2018. So I just celebrated three years. <laughs> Yesterday. Oh, the owl is happy for you. Oh, that sounded more like a crow. <laughs> <laughs> the owl is crowing. Uh, <laughs> no, we had a fantastic brunch for you yesterday, too. That was so much fun. I'm glad I got to be a part of that, hon. I'm glad that you got to be a part of it, too. And, you know, it's, uh, that's, that's, it's really nice, especially now that things are kind of easing up and as more people get vaccinated then we have that opportunity to kind of have that fellowship um and it's for me it was really it's really important too because there is a huge generation of people that are getting sober uh, that have gotten sober over this last year that don't know what fellowship is oh yeah you know and you know and so it's really it's kind of an experience to be able to have that with with friends and show people that it can happen and this is what happens you know when you that's stay correct. sober. so it's an important part of my recovery and, and it's odd, you know, I'm in a situation that having moved here, you know, I knew I was going to experience having to be new, so to speak. I mean, I've got some connections here, but I had to be new here and then throw on top of it, the pandemic. So being new here has been delayed. Yeah. But the other thing that I'm, I'm guessing is going to be the experience for a lot of folks is that, you know, we've gone feral. <laughs> we have yes. at least the introver introverted, uh, feral introverts, at least, uh, that are going to have to learn how to socialize. Yeah. Again, people are going to have or to at least let it kick back in. But yeah, there's going to be a long period of time where people come to meetings in their pajamas <laughs> and you know, with a cup of coffee and a bowl of cereal. And <laughs> it's true. talk at the same. Well, I'll just eat this while the meeting's going on. Or they'll drag oh, yeah. their exercise equipment to the meeting. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I've seen a couple of those. Or, or shave their legs in the tub during the meeting. <laughs> I did have the opportunity to see someone taking a bubble bath at one of my meetings um, on Zoom. So You're no. the one who told me about that. Wow. Taking that's a bubble bath. That's very relaxed. That's feral. <laughs> yeah. I think that's pretty feral. So, Stephen, what... Now that you're uh, four years, you got this thing. 
Uh, there three goes years. your math again. Three years. <laughs> three years. Tell us what what's a point in your recovery where one of the steps really kicked in and you you reacted differently by using a step than you would have. Um, you know, so I. Uh, probably the most recent and the most notable um, experience that I had was um, kind of at the start of, you know, the whole country shutting down last year at the start of the pandemic. Um, We knew that things were going to happen. We knew that things were getting shut down. And um, I was in a constant and serene level of surrender. And I was absolutely okay. I knew that no matter what I was going to be taken care of. And I kept, I just, I felt like, God's got this. God's got this. You know, my higher power is going to deliver me something that's going to be, um, you know, far better than what I'm doing right now. And I don't have nothing to worry about. I'm going to be taken care of, you know, and, um, and it was just eerie the whole time too. And I remember calling my sponsor and being like, what is this feeling? And, you know, I've got two, my best girlfriends who I talk to every day. And, and I was just like, everything's going to be okay. Everything's working out while everybody else is like the whole country's shutting down. And, you know, and I will tell you that, um, and there's not been a minute in this last, you know, just over a year now that um, I have not been well taken care of more than I could have ever asked for or imagined, you know, and it's, um, I feel kind of guilty saying that too. Um, in the midst of all that negative stuff that's happened over the last year, it's been actually a pretty transformative year mm-hmm. for me. I love that, 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 that's been your experience. I love you saying it like that. How do you stay sober daily and talk about um, prayer and how you use that on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, my days, uh, one, one of the most important things for me when I got sober was I needed to have routine, right? Because my whole life had been living freely, if you will, <laughs> you know, I needed to have a routine. So, um, I am generally up early in the morning. Um, I get up earlier than most of my friends and people in the world. Um, I get up usually about 5 a.m., <laughs> But I'm up early because I use that time to ease into my day. And that's my time that I do. Um, You know, I listen to a guided meditation um, most mornings. Sometimes they are, you know, checking with my body and just kind of being quiet. Um, Other times, you know, I listen to things like suggestive affirmations is what I call it, you know. And I use that time for prayer also, you know, um, when I came in, I had a real objection to getting on my knees and, and, you know, pretending to be that little boy looking up at the stars or the yeah. heavens. You know, I had an it issue with that. It I didn't want to be a, be false. No, I didn't. I didn't want to do something that um, I felt like I was being forced to do. Um, something that um, I needed to do to impress my sponsor or, or program or what have you. Um, so my versions of prayer are very different. I do quiet reflection. Um, And my conversations with God or my higher power, however you want to call it, my conversations with God are that if I were just having a conversation with you two fine gentlemen, you know, it's very casual. It's not formal. I cuss at God, you know, like it's a very fluid interaction. And um, because God for me needs to be someone that I could come to with just about anything, you know, like my best friend. Um, I can't feel like my higher power is up on a pedestal or something or higher than me. And that's, when I'm praying. And um, I also take note to acknowledge the little things in life. I know it sounds kind of cliche about, you know, stop. It's absolutely the whole key. That's life. (laughs) It's it's those little things, you know, those, those, uh, those very small 
minimal ways that I know my higher power is um, connecting with me. I stop, I appreciate them and I acknowledge them for what they are. And that's like a silent prayer, if you will, letting me know that I'm present, you know, whether it's a hummingbird flying over and like hovering right in front of my face for a couple of seconds and zooming off the other direction or, and, and it's moments like that, that, you know, if I were drunk and loaded, I wouldn't be able to appreciate them. I'd be like, get out of my face bird you know um but now it's like oh someone's telling me to like slow down and acknowledge this and i do it's, it's actually quite amazing so that's 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 my prayer and meditation routine but you know i'm um, i there are very few days out of the three years that i've been sober that i don't go to a meeting on um, a lot of days you know for my first second first and second year was you know a meeting twice a day um and um, i'm constantly in contact with people that are sober you know, today I've got two lovely sponsees that keep me sober and sane, you know, but that's a daily thing. I'm in a meeting. How did day. you get to the place that that wasn't a struggle to do that morning routine? So I've always been kind of a morning person. I remember, you know, when I first got sober, um, all I wanted was like five seconds of silence between my ears. All I wanted was five seconds of silence. And I realized somewhere early on that um, if I'm up early, the whole world is quiet. Even if I'm in a sober living or if I was in treatment or what have you, like everybody else is sleeping because, you know, that's what's going on. And if I can have that, that silent space, it really gives me time to kind of come into my own for the day. And that registered with me somewhere. And, um, and I've been able to do that consistently since then. I mean, there are some days that I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to sleep till six. Oh, sleeping in. I <laughs> Just sleeping the day away. You know, um, so, I mean, but it's, uh, it's something that, that's worked for me. I mean, I've, I mean, I've always been kind of an early riser anyways. It was that realization that, you know, if I wanted to achieve that silence, that quiet, that peace, I needed to work Did, for did this it. start and, early in, in this time of sobriety or have you always tried to do it and failed at it or, you know? So that's a good question. I'm, I, you know, I, I've lived out here in Palm Springs for about four years. And so it's something I kind of perfected in that last four years is being able to stick to a routine in the morning. Um, because if nothing else, you know, the day can knock you off your, you know, off your feet yep. for a minute. Um, but at least I've done my morning routine and I've got this, you know, I've at least done this a little bit. So I've got, you know, some sense of serenity to kind of follow my that's, day with. That's where this feeling of you're going to be okay came from. That's what I think too. You know, I'm, uh, Every year, at least in this time, you know, every year I've said, you know, what, what do I want out of this year of sobriety? Year one was about connection, um, was about creating a network of, of people and a fellowship. Year two was about that kind of calm, being able to build on intimacy in my relationships with others. Um, and then year three for, for me was um, about that connection with a higher power and how do I deepen that and how do I, um, you know, really feel the presence of my higher power as opposed to just kind of do like transactional spirituality, you know, just kind of putting in my time and, and okay, I'm done. I've done this for the day and check it off my list. You know, I'm really kind of spending the time to kind of further that connection. Interesting. So, so yeah. now year one had a focus, year two had a focus, year three had a focus. Do you know what year four is yet? Or is that something that you find in retrospect? You know, um, uh, so year four for me is, uh, it, there'd be a little retrospect, you know, I really, in the last year that that connection with my higher power has gotten better, I'm, I want to get better at meditation um, and being able to do that. You know, year four for me is about uh, strengthening the bonds of me to greater service. 
I would like to, as the world continues to open up a little bit more, um, get into more service work outside of like meeting level or just like sponsor sponsor stuff. Ooh, um, I can I help really with that. Get more in- <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, you're on my list of people. You know, I'm, I want to be able to do that. And then, um, you know, the other thing too is uh, I want to continue to build upon my own life. Uh, I know earlier I made mention about, you know, this year has been transformative for me because it's forced me to slow down much like the rest of the world. Um, but I've been able to ask myself, what does Stephen want out of sobriety? I've been able to put myself back into school. Um, you know, I want to achieve a nursing degree and go on and do all of those things later in life. And, um, you know, year four is really going to be about um, putting the pedal to the metal and kind of testing my abilities and my own, my own beliefs of what I'm capable of. So we'll see what that looks like. Yeah. And there's an experience that I would like for you to relate real quick, if you would, because you posted it on Facebook this morning and it's a memory from a year ago. Would you please tell about that? Yeah. So, uh, last year it was, you know, everything was shut down and, you know, it it was no one allowed to go anywhere except for, you know, essential services. So again, my, my sobriety date is April 24th, 2018. And so last year I was celebrating my second birthday and, my family relations um, were trash when I got here, right? Absolute trash. Um, most notably, probably my older sister. We've at, at my one year, you know, we reconnected and um, she became uh, another working part of my life. And at year two, you know, when I celebrated my second birthday last year, um, my sister single-handedly, mind you, from uh, she doesn't live here. She lives three and a half hours north of where I am. But she single-handedly arranged for all of my friends in Alcoholics Anonymous and all of my friends here in the, in the Valley to get together on my birthday. They did a drive-by, everyone in their cars. They decorated their cars with balloons. And it was this huge, long caravan of people that showed up at my apartment building. And I was brought out there because my roommate was like, oh, we're having a, a rental car dropped off and there's some fancy sports car or whatever. <laughs> and um, mind you, my roommate woke me up out of a nap and I was mad. You don't wake me up, right, out of a nap. And so I was like, not awake, really kind of pissy. I go outside, I'm like, what is happening? All these people are honking. And then it dawned on me that these were my friends showing up and doing this little caravan and honking and people were giving me like cards and chips and like huge signs and stuff. And at the very end of that caravan with my sister and her partner and, um, and I just burst into like completely ugly crying. Such a beautiful experience, right. To be able to have that. And like all of my friends show up for me in that kind of way. And that's what, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me today. I, I never in a million years would have ever thought that, that was going to be something that could ever happen or that many people would show up for me in that way. And, you know, it just it was really awesome experience. Really awesome. That. Well, damn it. You're making me cry. That's <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, I, I warned you about the live animals. You really need to watch your head this time. This, the owl it, it's, it's Yeah. <laughs> it's constipated. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> it's drunk. I was thinking of a bowl in a china shop. <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's time for our old timers question. Who are you calling an old timer? 
I thought you were going to like whisper in their ear or something. Who are you calling an old timer? You! That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, Sam, it's still one day at a time. I got chills. They're multiplying and I'm losing control. Oh, 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 sorry. Um, you can post a question at boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. We have an actual question that a listener sent to us. All right. You know, we do love it when we get those. And um, this is from Dylan. Uh, he sent this to us via the website. And just to let y'all know, Dylan sent this a few weeks ago, and we already responded to Dylan because, you know, it was timely. But here's his question, and uh, let's have a conversation about this one, old timers. All right. How should I pick a sponsor? I've been to two meetings so far, a men's discussion meeting. Is this a meeting type where it would be appropriate to ask someone to be my sponsor? I'm significantly younger than everyone at the meeting, and I'm still having a hard time getting over the abject terror of being in that room with people my dad's age to really open up yet. Mm. Dylan, thank you for sending in this question. Yes, I hear you. Abject terror. Let's deal with abject terror first. Because <laughs> you're already the old fart. I mean, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, no kidding. I don't care what age you are. You have abject terror coming to AA. It's really not an age thing, but I can see how it would be. I felt the same way going to men's meetings and it was incredible to me and let me see how old was I when I came in I was in 40 something but I grew up you know I'm a boomer so I grew up in the age when if you're over 30 you should kill yourself <laughs> it's like okay, don't boomer. don't trust anybody over 30 and so I was over 40 I didn't trust myself and uh <laughs> I was hearing these old guys, which I had a terrible relationship with my dad and which like Stephen shared with your sister, Stephen, that was so beautiful that, a, that a family relations can be repaired through working the steps and not always, but it happens more often than not. It certainly did with me and my father. <sighs> these old guys in these meetings would come out with this incredible wisdom and they were so kind and generous and non-judgmental and approachable. And it's like, I, I, just, I couldn't trust them. Do I, do I trust them? Should I trust them? Yes. <laughs> yes, I should. So, and the, probably the scariest thing of all was asking someone to be my sponsor. Because for me, it was like asking a girl out on a date. It's like, it's like, if I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I've spent three hours trying to get the courage to pick up the telephone, to make the telephone call, to ask a girl on a date. And it's like, it's like that. It's like, I just, if this fear of rejection, it's like, if I'm going to do this and I'm being vulnerable. And what if this person I asked to be my sponsor says, no, well, if they say no, it's because they're unable to do it. It's not personal. It's because they have enough people or they don't have time to spend with you as a sponsor. So they will be able, though, to recommend somebody else. And what I did, here's what I looked for. I looked for somebody who wasn't angry 
who obviously worked the steps. In other words, I wanted what they had. I liked what they had to say, and they weren't angry. Because if somebody is given off anger about everything, then there's some place that they're not working the steps. They haven't let go at some level. So that- hey, you call it an old time. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that guy that I play in this, don't ask him. <laughs> Don't ask him. He's he's got some resentment somewhere. So so that's the priorities. And and a lot of times in so many meetings, people will raise their hands if they they're willing to be a sponsor. But that doesn't matter either. I mean, you don't have to wait for that. It's okay to ask somebody, and it's okay to ask multiple people. Don't take it as failure. Just keep asking people until you get one. Yeah, I, I agree with, with what Don said too. Um, but you know, it sounds like Dylan is very fresh. My first real forced attempt or consistent attempt at Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, I was 19 years old, and um, I definitely couldn't identify with people that were older than my father. Mm. You know, uh, my recommendation would be um, because you know, at two meetings in, I didn't even know if I wanted to stick around. You know, but my recommendation would be, you know, if there are newcomer meetings, find a newcomer meeting and be able to ask what that should look like. Um, AA does have a pamphlet um, about sponsorship. Um, maybe check that out and see, you know, what that, what that looks like and what that entails. You know, but for me, it, I, I had to look for someone um, that even was remotely close to something I could identify with. My initial go-to was I went for the guy that talked about drugs. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe she can understand me a little bit better, you know, as opposed to the diehard alcoholics that were like, I I spilled more than you ever drank, you know, (laughs) but I I mean, I looked for something that I could identify with that was personal to me. I didn't even know what I wanted, you know, like Don said, you know, look for something that you want in a sponsor. You know, I didn't even know what I wanted in a sponsor at that time. I just needed to find someone that I could relate to, um, regardless of what age was. There is no shame in asking anybody. Um, Someone, even if they're not sponsoring anybody, they, if they're working a program or they're invested in Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever fellowship you're a part of, you know, they should be able to point you in the direction of someone that should be able to help you. You have to sit down and be like, open your ears. Um, one of the things that my sponsor or, you know, people have told me and, and things I've used since then, even when changing sponsors was, um, I don't know if Dylan prays it or not, but I had to pray for my higher power to bring the person into my life that was meant to be my sponsor. And um, and every time, and I will tell you, every time that I have prayed that prayer in earnest, um, that person has presented themselves and it has been beyond apparent to me. And I have asked up for that same person to be my sponsor and it has worked out for me since then. So, yeah. Awesome. I absolutely love that both of you have included, ask them, ask someone for a recommendation of who a good sponsor. That has been my experience uh, after rest- after resetting my sobriety date in 2012. Yeah, you did that. Yeah, in 2003, when I got my first sponsor, that came about because I asked someone and he said he was full uh, and couldn't sponsor me uh, and then suggested I ask one of his sponsees. And it took every bit of courage I had to ask the first guy. I couldn't bear <laughs> to ask the second guy. And so I'm at dinner talking with some friends that I've made in the rooms uh, that night and telling them about what had happened that morning. And uh, Tiffany was sitting beside me and she's like, well, I'll be your sponsor, Sam. And we talked about it and she was my sponsor for four years. It was fantastic. Um, after that, every sponsor that I got was one that I asked. 
I, I was asking people that some part of me wanted to impress. And so everything did not show up that needed to show up from me in those uh, sponsorship relationships. When I started over, when I reset my date, my sponsor was assigned to me. And then subsequent sponsors since 2012 have all been me asking for someone who has sobriety, who has a life and, and is living this program uh, in a way that I admire and respect who they think would be a good sponsor for me. And it hasn't failed me yet. Um, and the commitment that I have in doing that is also uh, that I will work the steps with every one of these people. We may end our relationship afterward, but I'm going to stick it out and work the steps with them. To that point, sponsorship is not a marriage. It is not forever. This is not a, a lifetime commitment when you pick a sponsor. The other thing that I uh, offered to Dylan in my response uh, earlier was contact your local intergroup or meeting listing website looking for young people's uh, YPAA, young people in AA. Look for young people meetings because there's a lot of good recovery in these YP meetings. And there you may find the people that you relate to more strongly. And there's some really strong sponsorship available in these meetings too. The short of it is, I'm glad you're coming to meetings, Dylan. I hope that you continued to uh, since you sent us that email and that you found someone. Uh, and, uh, and if you haven't yet, just jump in and pray. Even if you don't believe it'll work, just ask to be shown your sponsor and then see what shows up. Oh, and that pamphlet that Stephen mentioned on sponsorship is available on aa.org. So uh, if, you're, if you can't find one at a meeting in person, uh, just go to aa.org and use their search function for uh, sponsorship pamphlet or something like that. It's good stuff. You know, it, it's hard even like I had to get a new sponsor because my sponsor moved about, I don't know, seven years ago or so. But I've been sober a long time and it had three sponsors before. It was just as hard <laughs> to ask somebody <laughs> to be my sponsor this last time as it was because at it, the first thought in my mind was, oh, Lord, I don't want to ask somebody. I don't have somebody telling me what to do. <laughs> No? Oh, 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 I've got another thing. So one of the cool things that I've experienced uh, and, and I've recommended to people too in early recovery, because we talk about, you know, get phone numbers and call people. And it's hard as hell to do because that, that just sucks. Nobody wants to do that. And a great excuse, a great cop out on making those phone calls is saying, you know, when you call the person, my sponsor may, is making me call people. Oh you yeah. Can blame your sponsor on yeah. shit. Oh yeah. Um, that, that works beautifully. Well, the, the other thing is apparently it just hit me. I'm kind of doing that with this getting a new sponsor thing too, because I'm like talking to recommended sponsor person and I'm like, Hey, so-and-so said you'd be a good sponsor for me. <laughs> That's right. What's a little remove. <laughs> yeah. It adds that layer of safety too, with that little buffer. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder if there's it, something it, there. It's I kind of the pressure off. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Stephen, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much, hon. I really appreciate you guys inviting me on today. It's been a joy. Oh, there, there's that pesky owl. <laughs> thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. If you'd like to contribute to help with expenses, information on that is at the bottom of our website. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org. 
You can also email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of Alcoholics Anonymous and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Welcome to the Boiled Owl Coffee Club Podcast. We are in your mind. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, oh, I'm God. Gonna, I better not.